Welcome to The Markets, Dateline Chicago, Friday, June 28. Hello again, Orion Samuelson with you to take a look at the market activity this past week ahead of a four-day trading week because of the 4th of July holiday. And uh, I'm joined today by Max Armstrong, who'll be sharing the market segment with us. But there's a lot to talk about, so let's cover Wall Street first of all. Major indices tumbled today. Several U.S. states imposed business restrictions, that coming in response to a surge in coronavirus cases. Several U.S. states that were spared the brunt of the initial outbreak or moved early to lift restrictions are seeing a resurgence in new infections. Today, Texas and Florida ordered bars to close down again. Kevin Grogan, a market analyst at Buckingham Strategic Wealth in St. Louis, said, you're seeing a pretty dramatic increase in cases. And if people start feeling again like it's not safe to eat out or go shopping, that could have a really negative impact on the stock market. And then there was a Wall Street Journal report that the Phase 1 U.S.-China trade deal could be at risk placed additional pressure on U.S. stocks. According to that report, Chinese officials warned that, quote, meddling in Hong Kong and Taiwan could lead Beijing to back away from its commitment to purchase U.S. farm goods. But they did purchase soybeans and grain sorghum today as they continued to add up their purchases from the United States. And among sectors, financial, communication services, and energy shares outpace the broader S&P 500 in declines. Bank shares plummeted after the Federal Reserve limited dividend payments and barred share repurchases until at least the fourth quarter following its annual stress test. Renewed concerns over the coronavirus pandemic has threatened to derail a strong rally for Wall Street that has erased really much of the S&P 500 steep losses from March. During today's session, the S&P 500 traded below its 200-day moving average, an indicator of long-term momentum. And another analyst in Minneapolis said the uptick in coronavirus cases likely triggered a test of that technical level. So the Dow today down 733 points. That's 2.85% to end the week at 25,012. The S&P 500 lost 74.9 points, or 2.5% to end the day and the week at 3,008. And the NASDAQ composite dropped 258 points, or a little more than 2.5%, to 9,758. Facebook shares tumbled after Unilever and Verizon Communications joined an advertising boycott that called out the social media giant for not doing enough to stop hate speech on its platforms. And Nike shares dropped as the footwear maker, hurt by store closures due to the pandemic, posted a surprise quarterly loss. 
But then on the other side of the story, Gap shares surged after the retail chain entered a 10-year deal with rapper and fashion designer Kanye West to create a line of clothing under his Yeezy brand. So that's a lot of what happened today on Wall Street. And as far as global markets are concerned, a quick look at their activity. Global stocks sank and perceived safe haven assets like U.S. Treasuries and gold gained today as investors weighed hopes that Europe will continue to rebound from the coronavirus pandemic's economic damage against concerns over a recent surge in the COVID-19 infections in the United States. The Eurozone is probably past the worst of the economic crisis. That, according to European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde, while urging authorities to prepare for a possible second wave. There were at least 39,818 new cases across the United States on Thursday. That's the largest one-day increase yet. The governor of Texas temporarily halted that state's reopening as infections and hospitalizations surged. So, finally, a look at the oil market this week. The oil prices settled lower today as new cases spiked in the United States and China and on growing concerns about rising U.S. output ticking up while crude stockpiles are sitting at record highs. Brent crude settled down just $0.03 a barrel at $40.91 for the week. Brent crude was down 1%. And U.S. crude fell $0.23 for the day to $38.49 a barrel. That was down 1.6% on the wheel, on the week. So as we've looked backwards, let's take a look forward to see what's going to happen next week because it is a holiday-shortened trading week. Markets will be closed on Friday for the 4th of July holiday in this country. So looking ahead on Monday, data from the National Association of Realtors will likely show pending home sales in the U.S. increased at a rate of 19.7% in May. Sales fell 21.8% in April. Canada's producer price data for the month of May is due for release on Monday. Producer prices fell 2.3% in April. And then as we look at the rest of the week, the Labor Department's closely watched employment report on Thursday expected to show non-farm payrolls up by 3,074,000 jobs in June after they increased by 2,509,000 in the previous month. Jobless rate expected to fall to 12.3% in June. That would be down from uh, the 13.3% in May. Trade deficit numbers from the U.S. Commerce Department due out the same day. And the ADP national employment rate on Wednesday 
likely will show private employers recruited 3 million workers in June after 2.7 million workers were laid off in May. And then, of course, we get initial jobless claims data on Thursday and initial claims for state unemployment benefits expected to fall by a million fifty-five thousand. And factory orders forecast rebounding. The uh, For the weekend of June 27, factory orders are expected to have rebounded 8.3% in May. Again, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin will testify before the House Financial Services Committee about the response to the coronavirus. The Fed Chair will provide testimony on the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, better known as the CARE CARES Act, so we don't have to spend a, a minute or two giving you the title. And then the USMCA trade deal, that's the United States-Mexico-Canada trade deal that replaces NAFTA, will come into effect on Wednesday. American companies and officials have said they could launch disputes with Canada and Mexico over access to dairy, energy, and biotech biotech uh, industries, and uh, that, of course, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Cherio's cereal maker, General Mills, will report fourth quarter earnings on Wednesday. Its net sales and profit likely to jump, helped by strong demand for packaged foods brought on by the pandemic. And investors will be on the lookout for 2020 outlook and the company's comments on current levels of demand. The maker of Chef Boyardee, the uh, pasta maker Conagra Brands, fourth quarter net sales and profit likely to climb when it reports earnings on Tuesday, helped by strong demand for packaged foods again brought on by the pandemic. On Wednesday, the heads of General Motors and Fiat Chrysler Automobiles scheduled to update a federal judge on the status of talks to resolve GM's racketeering lawsuit against its rival after the judge ordered them to meet in person. So we'll have to wait and see what that will produce. But anyway, keep in mind it's a four-day trading week. The U.S. markets, agriculture, and stock markets will be closed on Friday for the 4th of July holiday, and they will open again on the following Monday, and we'll be trading a full week once more. So that's what happened uh, and what is probably going to happen. But what about agriculture? Well, Max Armstrong is back to visit with a friend of ours, Dennis March, Dennis Smith. So we'll get to their conversation when we continue on the markets. Well, it was a week ago, a quarterly hogs and pigs report, and we thought it might be a pretty interesting one, uh, certainly an important one after what the pork industry has gone through this spring. Dennis Smith with Archer Financial Services joins us on the line. I looked over the numbers, Dennis, after that release of the report, and I thought, wait a minute, uh, 
didn't we have a near disaster in the hog industry this spring? I, I guess I expected to see more of it reflected in the government's numbers. What did they show? Yeah, Max, uh, I was the same way. All hogs and pigs, the inventory is 105% of a year ago, kept for breeding down just 1% at 99% of a year ago, and the kept for market categories at 106% of a year ago. The uh, biggest surprise for me, Max, was that it kept for breeding only down 1%. We know the sow slaughter has been aggressive all year long, but evidently the uh, the the packer large integrator also aggressively retaining gilts for breeding. So, what is that Ant- anticipation of continued rampant buying by the Chinese? Is that what's at work here? Uh, I am uh, not sure, uh, Max, how, how to describe it. Uh, it, it. I feel like it's not a, a profitable uh, incentive. Let's put it that way. Um, certainly the market is anticipating more Chinese business. Uh, how long that lasts remains to be seen. But again, given the the situation uh, with the uh, shutdown of the food service and with the uh, the virus impacting the packing plants and the, and the numbers backed up, I would have thought the industry would have reacted differently uh, than what these numbers indicate. You mentioned the packing plants. To what degree have they recovered now? And uh, what's the the percentage of operation uh, of the throughput of the plants compared to normal? Do you know? Well, it looks like we're running about uh, approximately 92%, uh, maybe approaching 95% uh, of the uh, previous uh, virus uh, kill. Um, So it's been a really impressive recovery. Uh, There's still a lot of labor issues, uh, Max, with a... uh, uh, with the boning lines, for example, so they're they're putting employees on the kill line, and, and they're having uh, labor issues doing the further processing, such as removing bones from the hams. So you have a, a tremendous glut of bone end product, uh, and then uh, uh, a tighter supply of the boneless product. So the labor issues remain a real challenge. In fact, I think I saw this week that there have been some lawsuits filed against Packers because of fatalities attributed to uh, to COVID nineteen in the in the workforce, and I guess that's not uh, unexpected. But uh, the president acted to resolve the industry of some of the liability, did he not? Yeah, the the executive order, Max, as I understand it, sort of uh, shielded the, the packing plants from lawsuits associated with uh, uh, sickness and death from the virus. Um, and I don't know the numbers at the top of my head, but I think the uh, while it's certainly uh, tragic, uh, the the numbers as compared to the total people that uh, have been infected are actually a very very low percentage. But uh, nevertheless, uh, the, the executive order, in my opinion, did shield the uh, packing plants from such lawsuits. And could that then be credited with allowing the packing industry to ramp back up its production far more than was expected? Well, I guess uh, that, that's a possibility, Max, that, that I really had not considered in, until uh, I, I saw this hog and pig report uh, again. We uh, we know the sow slaughter was up aggressively all year, and, and that's where the uh, the real uh, uh, surprise came in with the uh, the aggressive nature of the uh, gill retention. Um, so that also should remove some market hogs from the uh, category, 
but we're still looking at a cap for marketing category of 106%. It's a bullish bunch, apparently, huh? It's a, it's difficult to sort out. Uh, we have 12% more hogs right here in front of us. And uh, again, Max, I'm not sure how we're going to be able to, to meet that challenge uh, from, from a processing labor standpoint. So where are the prices for producers in terms of their profitability right now? Uh, is anybody making money in the business? Well, I wouldn't think there's anybody at, at current levels uh, that are profitable right now. And uh, this is a summer market, and that's typically when uh, everyone, uh, even the uh, the high cost producer, the smaller independent, should be making money in the in the summer hog market. But uh, in my opinion, profitability wise is, is a zero right now across the industry. And do you see a period out there when producers could get out of red ink, or is this just going to continue for the? Uh foreseeable future as you see it well max uh, a kept for breeding uh, down just one percent is actually not even a contraction because that translates into record large production for next year when you factor in the efficiencies in the industry in other words the the, the rising consistently rising picks per litter uh, so uh, barring some uh, just a continued ramp up of business uh, whether it be, uh, or I should say demand, whether it be food service demand in the U.S. market or export business, I, I, I cannot see a, an opportunity here for, for a, a, a rosy price picture. Much has been said about direct farm-to-consumer marketing, and we know there are some producers who are gearing up to do that, locker plants uh, that want to expand their businesses, and in small towns, they've found just rampant demand for whatever they can process locally. People continue to talk about this. In reality, Dennis, this is going to be a drop in the bucket, isn't it, in terms of the total demand? I mean, we we can talk all we want to about small-town locker plants, and it will be opportunity for somebody, but in terms of what is needed, it's still going to be minuscule, will it not? Yeah, I I don't see how that can uh, sort of uh, bail out the industry, so to speak, as far as the the labor issues and the processing issues at, at hand. Uh, yeah, these small operations, I am told, are booked for the rest of the year. Right. If you want to have a, a single hog uh, processed or, or a, a couple of hogs or even a half a hog. Uh, so th- that's uh, interesting and good uh, business. Uh, but it, it, you know, on the scale of the, the whole industry, I, I don't think it's a game changer. What about the consumer supply and price? I've seen great variability in the price, uh, but uh, my son-in-law in North Carolina uh, purchased some pork ribs here recently. They were loaded with meat. They were excellent ribs. They were just uh, fantastic. And prices were up there, but they, they weren't uh, sky high. What are we seeing nationwide? Well, nationwide, I think that there is a problem in that, uh, you know, during March when the wholesale pork prices skyrocketed, along with beef prices, uh, retailers, uh, of course, were, were stung as they uh, secured product, and they were very quick to, to, to raise, in fact, literally jack up retail meat prices. Mm-hmm. They're still working through a lot of this expensive inventory. At the same time, a lot of the big box retailers, I am told, are still limiting the number of packages that consumers can buy. So price is is rationing the supply, and, and now uh, artificial 
ration by uh, by limiting the number of packages that can be bought at the same time wholesale product has collapsed so so we really have retail prices working against the hog producer right now and uh, retailers then are uh, we assume pocketing some profits in that way uh, well, uh, partially so, but again, they are still working off the high-priced product. Uh, it depends on how quickly they lower retail prices now that they have an opportunity to begin uh, securing a much cheaper product line. We really need to see those retail prices come down quickly. It was agonizing for producers to have to euthanize hogs when there simply wasn't the capacity in plants. Is that still going on, Dennis, in some instances? And do we know the degree to which the euthanization took place? How many head, for example? No, I cannot get a handle. I cannot get an answer from anybody in the industry regarding that. I had heard the National Pork Producers Council was going to come up with a number, something they could present to the government for indemnity payments. But I've not heard or seen any solid evidence of the numbers put down. But uh, we know it occurred to some degree, but again, uh, both from a fat hog standpoint and as well as from a a baby pig standpoint. So uh, hogs going out of the barn and hogs coming into the barn, but uh, we cannot quantify such uh, measures. That's been tough uh, for the producers uh, to have to endure something like that, to be sure, among with all of the other challenges they have. uh, You have uh, many years of experience in sorting it out, and I suspect uh, for you, Dennis, personally, it's never been more challenging has it it's never been more challenging never been more confusing at times uh, you feel like you're a rookie in the business like you you know absolutely nothing that's how challenging confusing and uncertain this uh, hog market has been we appreciate your time as always thanks a lot dennis take care you're quite welcome thank you dennis smith with archer financial services As we turn our focus more to agriculture and agribusiness and we go into the county and state fair season with postponements and cancellations, I received another notice just today from the FFA, and here it is. The National FFA Organization announced the 2020 National FFA Convention and Expo will be held virtually. The organization also extended its contract with the host city of Indianapolis, which was to end on 2031. It now will end on 2033. And according to Mark Peschel, who is CEO of the National FFA, we wanted to ensure that our members and guests had the full convention experience. So after a discussion with the National FFA Board of Directors, the decision was made to move forward with a virtual experience for 2020. And Mark went on to say, as we continued to plan for our national convention, It became clear that travel restrictions and public health concerns, among many other pandemic-related challenges, made hosting the in-person event impossible in 2020. They said the safety of our members and stakeholders always is top of mind. That, according to James and Dr. James Woodard, the organization's national advisor and chair of the board of directors. And he said while the event might look a little different this year, 
Rest assured that we will continue to be celebrating agriculture's future leaders and conducting the organization's official business. So the year's event will be hosted by the 2019-2020 National FFA Officer Team and will continue the tradition of celebrating and inspiring the hundreds of thousands of FFA members who are becoming the next generation of leaders in the agricultural and world community. While conventions will look a little different this year than what we are used to, FFA members around the country have proven their willingness the past few months to not only adapt but create meaningful experiences while celebrating FFA and agricultural education. Those were the words of Colson McCoy, the current national FFA president. He said, our officer team is humbled to share the fantastic experience with more members than ever before. And the national FFA looks forward to returning to Indianapolis with an in-person convention in 2021, and they'll now be conventioning in Indianapolis until 2033. So I know that many state FFA conventions have been virtual conventions, but now the national FFA convention will also be in that category. So 2020 continues to be a historic year. In other agribusiness news, Chinese demands that overseas suppliers, including those from the United States, guarantee their food shipments are free of the coronavirus and are causing some shoppers, or I should say some shippers in the U.S., to forego the China trade. That according to an industry group representing U.S. produce growers. Western Growers, which represents companies that produce half of U.S. fresh fruits, vegetables, and tree nuts, confirmed that many of its members had received such a request from Chinese authorities. But Dennis Nuxel, the trade group's vice president of government affairs, said, It's changing how some of our growers are reacting to the marketplace. Some of them are not going to export. He declined to say which companies were backing away from shipments to China, but Western growers complained this week to the USDA and the U.S. Trade Representative over the issue, and the government said it would take it up. The USDA and the USTR did not immediately respond to requests for a comment, but in a statement on Wednesday, USDA and Food and Drug Administration said efforts by some countries to restrict global food exports related to COVID-19 transmission are not consistent with the known science of transmission. And it's interesting that China, where the coronavirus pandemic originated, is trying to prevent any possibility of new infections coming from imported goods as it takes aggressive measures to contain a recent spike that was linked to a wholesale food market in Beijing. So let's take a look at where our markets closed in this country this 
final day before the four-day for the July trading uh, holiday. And as I look at the uh, rain trade sheet from the Chicago Board of Trade, it's red. All the way it's red. July wheat ended the week today at 473 and three quarter cents a bushel. That was down 13 cents on better than expected wheat yields in some other wheat producing countries. The July corn contract down just a penny a bushel to close the week at $3.19 and three quarter cents a bushel. And July soybeans ended three and a quarter cents lower. And that put it at $8.66 a bushel. Turning to the livestock trade at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange this week, our closing prices today, uh, just a couple of green lines, but everything else pretty red. The July lean hog contract ended down $1.67 a hundredweight, $45.25. But the June live cattle ended higher, up uh, $0.77 a hundredweight at $94.95. The August feeder cattle, though, ended the week lower, down $0.45 at $132.80 a hundredweight. So that's the way we ended. Enjoy the four-day holiday trading week next year. And maybe we'll continue to get weather that has certainly been a different situation than it was a year ago with the floods and the droughts and the hurricanes and the tornadoes. But these crop condition reports that came out again on Monday of this week showing that weather helped at planting time, weather is helping at growing time, and some beneficial rains are expected in the forecast next week. So thank you, as always, for joining us. That's our time for this week, and we'll be back with you next week on The Markets.